Welcome to Soundpost, a podcast dedicated to exploring the meaning of concert music in today's world through conversations with its leading artists. I am Carlos Miguel Prieto. And I am Raul Gomez. Our guest today is conductor Elisa Vegas from Venezuela. Elisa, how are you? Hello, it's very nice to be with you today. I'm okay, I'm here in Caracas, uh, having a very nice weather, so perfect. It's great to talk to you. So what have you been up to in the last few weeks or months since, you know, quarantine and, and lockdown started? Well, wow, this is a very difficult question. I think this lockout is helping me to think about our orchestra for the future and also helping our musicians to do music with this technology thing and just keep going and trying to have this time to make new strategies for our project. Yeah. Yes. And of course, you already have a, a very successful career as a conductor and also as a social leader working with professional orchestras. You were a guest with the Orchestra of the Americas in Mexico last summer of 2019, where you got to work with the orchestra and with Maestro Carlos Miguel Prieto. So what role did Elisa play with the Orchestra of the Americas and how did you enjoy working together? I enjoyed meeting Elisa very much, and she was instrumental in many things. I cannot exaggerate how important and what a fresh input she made with the orchestra. I saw her lead a fabulous concert in Puebla that was not only stupendously conducted and put together, but just as well presented in a combination of very nice, but also very informative fashion. I saw immediately in Elisa a really first-rate communicator, which finally, as you know, Raul, we all are, or we should all strive to be. So she has this kind of natural ability to communicate and to be a natural musician. And I, I think that's a, you know, something that she has a natural talent for. She has just been, and I, I'm going to say it, I don't know if this is official Elisa, you tell me, but named Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum. And I know that when they look for people to be a young global leader, it's people who not only excel, are at the top of their field, but they also have some attributes as communicators, as social leaders. So Elisa, can you tell us first if this is official? Uh, how do you feel about it? Well, Maestro, I'm really red in, you know, in my cheeks because all of you have said, but thank you for your words. Yes, it's official. It's 2020 in February. It's a huge opportunity. It's an honor to be at the World Economic Forum. And as you said, it's a community of people of different disciplines. But the thing that unites us is that it's a leadership through social projects, you know, We're doing something not just for us, but for our country, our community, or something that could transcend to the world, you know? So for me, I was asked last year, it was a very hard process, a lot of interviews, a lot of meetings, but they see that maybe through music, this is what I, I'm, I'm thinking about, they see that world can be changed, but really in a deep way, through music, through art, through culture. Sometimes we, can, we, we don't see this in the statistics, 
but it's real. And I can say it like in a fact, because we are really transforming society through the orchestra in a moment of a real crisis. So yes, it's a huge opportunity. And now I have the award there and speak up, not for me, not for my country, but also for all orchestras and all our movement. So I'm not preparing myself just to be the voice for everyone, you know, for you, for youth orchestras, for professional orchestras. So I'm here for everyone at this moment. I know that part of your work in Venezuela is a project where you're working with, I think, 70 musicians in three towns in Venezuela, Birongo, Choroni, and Camarata. Will you share about that project specifically? Yes. Well, I realized that as my life has a purpose of transforming communities. You know, the orchestra that I actually conduct is the Ayacucho Symphony Orchestra. The whole program that we have, the whole uh, season has a purpose. We never do a concert without a purpose, a real specific purpose. For example, we are playing this for this reason, for this hospital, for this community, and everything, if you see any activity has like, well, let's do this concert to feel uh, some kind of schedule. So then we have here the, the Sistema, and as you know, it's a, it's a very successful movement here and around the world. But there's a little thing that, that I would like to tell you. When you go to communities that has a, a very and musical identity, so you go there with violins and you teach them, for example, uh, some Beethoven, they, they will think that this music is better than their roots. So if they're playing drums in this community, for example, uh, Birongo, they had lots of drums there, Caribbean drums. So now they're feeling that their music, it's, it's not like high standard music. So now with the orchestra, we're doing the opposite. We're in the community and we're telling them, hey, we're an orchestra and we as really good high level players want to know about your roots, about your identity. We are uh, breaking paradigmas, you know? Uh, they, they're saying like, what? You are not here teaching me the violin? No, I'm a violinist. I just want to know more about your music. Some kind of ethnomusicology with musicology, with teaching. And the thing is that this will help the tourism. There's a, a new wave of sustainable tourism and it goes with the orange economy and circular economy of the world. And the thing is the music can really help the identities of people, of cultures. And and if you go to the music of some population, of some town, you will find then with the music, you will link with the history, you will link with the food, you will link with the dances, and everything comes together. So this is a kind of pilot project. We're working with Indians of the Amazonas. We're working with a people that, that is from the Caribbean. And the results are really great. People really connect with themselves. And we were, in a way, we're trying to reivindicate the idiosyncrasy of these Venezuelan people. Now, the thing is that um, because we are struggling a lot in this country, the orchestra can be like a lab, you know, a lab orchestra. We are not square. So people in the orchestra is saying like, well, we don't have nothing to lose. We don't have big money in the orchestra, so we can try. And by trying and giving people something different that a normal orchestra gives, we are seeing that maybe we have now a new way to show music, to show classical music, and to join projects that maybe in our heads are really apart, you know, like doing Indian music with orchestra, going to communities, uh, and maybe also like playing in the river, like actually playing in the river with the instruments, these kind of things, we're trying this, and 
and in this kind of lab, some things are going forward and people in the World Economic Forum or also the BID, World Economic Bank, are looking to us because of this. We are just trying, trying and trying. Maybe it's going to work, maybe it's not going to work, but we have to adjust to this time. Is this something that you have developed on your own or are you continuing on somebody else's footsteps? This is a project that it was my own, but I had to, of course, to get together with tourism and other people in my country. But the thing is that I think this comes because of my background. My father loves jazz and he's also a theater producer. So in my mind, music is not just music. We are some kind of chain. We are part of a chain. So for me, for example, music has never been just a concert. It has to be a concert with something else, with some multimedia thing, or maybe it has to be an opera or a ballet. Or something new going on because we have to connect with young people. We have to connect with the community. So I feel that here I have the opportunity to just get a little bit crazy and try new things. <laughs> so Elisa, let me ask you, how does it work musically? Would you describe maybe a recent concert where you have brought elements of, let's say, classical orchestral music with local folk uh, music or musicians? How does it work in practice? Yeah, it works like, for example, you go to the, this community, you research there, of course you have a plan, then you record the people, you make the music, you know, the, the sheets, then you come back. So you, you create arrangements or commission arrangements for... Yes, yes. And eventually you go with some video guys and they record a documental. So then you can also go with the dance and put everything together. So it's, it's a very multidisciplinary group. And of course, my, my dream is that in maybe 10 years, 5, 10 years, we can have all our roots in a book, you know, all the music. Because the, the truth is that some of the musical roots are dying because if the mentor dies or if the mentor doesn't ha know how to give the lesson to the other ones, it's suddenly going to die. I also, uh, we are breaking some rules in the orchestra. For example, last year we brought some tambores, we brought some drums of the coast and we actually played all the orchestra were playing drums, violinists playing drums, bassoon players, everyone in a very important hall in my country. It's called Aula Magna. It's the Central University of Venezuela. And suddenly everyone stopped playing their instruments and we were playing that. And then people were really in shock because we have never seen orchestras like playing drums. And it was in a, in a dignified way, you know, we were dignifying the music. As I told you, it's not easy. It's not easy to tell a musician, you know, um, like, okay, let's play drums together. Let's play our, our music together. It's not an easy road to make, but we are trying. And after that, the orchestra, like people comes to the concerts a lot because they don't know what to expect. Sometimes it's something like a video, sometimes it's something more intense, or, or it's just music, but they know they will have a real experience, you know, a, a rich experience with the orchestra. Elisa, I'd like to ask you a question that's perhaps uncomfortable, but I think it's an important topic to discuss. In your country, which is a Latin American country, like in my country, or in Raul's country, there is still a male-dominated part of society. And uh, we can 
choose to ignore it or we can choose to address it directly. And if I think if we ignore it, we will keep having the problems of perception that some professions are ladies, that some professions are gentlemen, etc. And one thing which is, of course, has been a, a very interesting discussion over the last years is the fact that music conductors have generally in history, if you look at history, especially last century or two centuries ago, were basically male. So I'd like to ask you, uh, from your perspective, and please try to be as like honest and direct as, as you can, have you suffered this kind of discrimination or anything that makes your life as a conductor more challenging than it would be for a colleague of yours who is male? Well, this is a, a very good question, and of course I will be honest with you. Uh, both of you are conductors, and you know it's really strange to see a woman in the podium. I would like to address this question with uh, a personal story. I am a clarinet player, and I never thought about conducting, never. Because for me, as a clarinet player, I played in, a, in an orchestra in my country, I, I thought that to be a conductor you have to be male and you have to have a lot of experience. So for me, to be a conductor was not in my life. But I started going to conductor's classes just to know how, how they read a score, just to know how they think about the music, because I'm always like studying and studying a lot, not just music, but arts in general. So to, to be short to the story, I was suddenly in a conducting course. We were 70 people. The conductor said, I can work with 70 people. And he did a, an exam. I passed the exam and suddenly I was conducting in the master class and I said, hey, I, I'm not conductor, I can't conduct, I'm a woman, I'm actually a woman. And also in my country we don't have women that conduct, so, but he says, no, you should try, you should try. And that day my world changed, you know, I was like, okay, this can be a way. The thing is that I didn't have references. I had to speak with the truth. I know we have women conductors, but I didn't have any references. And then when I look at the references, most of them were mainly conductors. They were women, but they were like a little bit mainly conductors. So I thought, okay, I'm different. In my country, there's no woman conductor. I will try this, but I, at least I will say I'm a woman. I will dress like a woman, and if you like it, okay, and if, if you don't like it, okay, that, that will be fine. At the present, I'm just trying not to overthink about these kind of things. I know that every time at the podium, I will have like a radiography, you know, they will do me like x-ray in the first five minutes. One, because I'm young, I'm a woman, and of course, I think that we have to be really, really, really prepared. But the other thing that I think it, it, it really helps is you have, to, you have to be yourself. I mean, if you are going to be at the podium, it's a reality, you are a woman, and that's it. If you like it, it's okay. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. But the thing is, and this is really curious, sometimes the people that is more, you know, like uh, discriminate most are women, not male. I have to tell you that they are more like um, suspicious. I don't know how to say it in English. They are they are looking more on you and what you are doing. So this is an issue. I have had some opportunities just because I'm a woman, because some some orchestras has to you know fulfill the woman conductor of the season. 
So they just call me like, oh, she's a woman. Okay, okay. So just to check that out, I will call maybe Elisa or maybe someone else. At the beginning, it was like a, bit, a little bit hard for me. But the thing is like, okay, let's do this. And if I'm good enough for them, they will invite me again. So we have to break those barriers and don't overthink about these kind of things. And, but of course, this is a reality. And the other thing in terms of gender, uh, people is talking about we have to be equals. I don't really think that. I think we have to have same opportunities, you know? Male and woman, we are different. We will give different perspective on the music. We will conduct different. But just give the opportunity. If you don't like it, it's okay. If you like it, okay, go for it again. I think this is a very powerful message. And it's something that, of course, you bring to all young musicians that you work with. Do you see a change in younger generations in the way they see these issues? Yes, of course. If, if you go to the conservatories these days, I think the, the balance is more or less equal. You, you will find lots of women now trying to conduct or actually conducting. The thing is, it's really tricky to go to the tip to really conduct professional orchestras. Maybe you can, in a youth or children level, you will have opportunities. But Carlos Miguel was telling me in some master classes, and that's it. You have to have an identity. You have to be yourself. My advice to women conductors is just to be their self, just to develop some kind of real personality. You don't have to be strong just because male are strong. Maybe you have something else to give. Maybe you have a new message to give. If you compare with men, I think you will be lost. It's not going to work at all. This is all fascinating. And I, I thank you for being so direct and clear about this. Maybe another question that I have for you has to do with the difficult situation that you live in your country. Undoubtedly, there are two sides that you probably face with your profession. One, and again, correct me if I'm wrong on either one of these two, but this is my assumption. Assumption one is that you have the opportunity and the ability to work with fabulous musicians, with many musicians, with a system that has already a history of success, and that has a proven track record. That's the plus, that you can do things that would be very hard to do in the middle of Europe, okay? But on the other hand, you live in a country where, at least from the outside, we hear of systematic problems, problems that have to do with some things that are, you know, sometimes even dangerous to your person, okay? So the question is, because as I see you developing your career, And as I saw you last summer, I kept thinking, okay, she's doing these wonderful things. Is Elisa uh, somebody who is interested in developing her career internationally? Or are you committed to Venezuela? And is Venezuela giving you the opportunity to develop as an artist that you dream of? Oh, well, that, this is a, a very good question. I'm Venezuelan for generations and generations. Even though I have some Spanish or German uh, roots, I have to tell you that my heart feels really Venezuelan. So I feel I have a purpose in life, a purpose for my country. I have lived here most of my life. I am suffering about what I see. But in the other hand, I see that I have the ability or the, um, the support of good Venezuelan people to have a better country. So as a Venezuelan, 
if I have the tools and I have them. So I feel the mission of trying to help my people in being here. So if you tell me, do you want to have a more international career? I will have to tell you that yes, but I have to be here also. If I can have a balance there, of course, but it's to be here is a decision, you know? To help my country is a decision. And it's because I really believe in the transformation of society through arts. And I have experienced it. Like last year, we were suffering a lot of because of the electricity, also today but I, I can tell you last year most of our concerts our big concerts people were not clapping people were giving us really deep thank yous like please keep going because when I go to your concert on Saturday or on Sunday and most of them are free for the people so when we go to your concert we can have hope for the future we can just imagine a better country and this give, gives us the opportunity to change society so This is not about me. It's about something huge, something bigger than my, my personal goals. If, if, if I can also share this with an international career, it will be great. But I'm definitely, I'm not going to change what I'm doing in my country just to have a, a professional career. Because this really goes into my soul, you know, to really help people through music. It's really giving me peace. And it's giving me a, a mission in life. So to respond, it will be great to have both. But I have uh, this year, next year, for five more years, I need to be here in my country because I know that what we are building, it's great. And it has a profound impact in the Venezuelan population. I think this is one of the reasons why you are successful already and will continue to be successful is that you have this laser focus on this mission of yours. And I think what you're describing also is a very important lesson for all of us when we talk about the importance of the arts and the importance of music in our current situation where there's so much uncertainty about the future of orchestras in the middle of this pandemic. And that's a very specific testimony about the real, very real importance and power of music when you talk about your audiences thanking you and asking you to keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing brings them hope. Yeah, I think that the cue is to be pertinent. We are struggling now with this COVID, but in, in Venezuela we are struggling with crisis like for the last 20 years. So this is another crisis. So I will tell everyone that you have to be pertinent to your community. This is really important. I remember my first conductor teacher His uh, maestro Rodolfo Saglimbeni. One of, of the first lessons he gave us was prepare yourself to be a great conductor. But if your career is with children orchestra, you have to feel really lucky and really honored to be the best children conductor ever. So we will prepare conductors for their task in life. Embrace your task and do it properly and feel honored you are helping your community. And if, if your community needs this or need that, as conductors, we have to, to see that, to see what our country needs, our city needs, and give them that. If we are stuck with theaters and theaters and theaters, that will be okay. But we have to go to youth people, to other people that is not listening to us. And it, of course, it's a challenge. It needs a transformation. And it's really hard for us that comes from conservatory. And it's really hard to explain to other musicians. But on the other hand, I can talk to you freely because I don't have nothing to lose. Some people have something to lose. I don't. So we can just try and be like a lab, as I told you. You know, talking to you, I've 
you are really unique. Uh, and I think Raul will agree with me because it's not only the way you say things, but exactly what you say and the conviction. And I guarantee that the success that you already have will be multiplied by many times, I think, if you keep this focus and this optimism. Because as you say, and uh, we are all three from Latin American countries, our children have so much talent and so much ability that the limit is how we can teach them. And the limitation is not in talent, is in the teaching or in the leading. So you will always have, and we will always have, an incredible opportunity to build orchestras, to build groups, uh, because I feel that in, in our countries, and I know the three, Venezuela, Costa Rica, and Mexico, music or classical music in some communities is not perceived as a luxury or as a inaccessible thing, but rather as an opportunity to express. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you, because in Mexico, it depends on which areas of society you are talking about. But last week in an interview that I did to the whole cello section of the National Symphony of Mexico, about half of them came from extremely humble families who saw music as just another opportunity, as you can probably see sports or as you can probably see engineering. And there was not in these young musicians the perception that music was elitist or was inaccessible. And this is something that is a gold mine if we can keep it. But it is also very risky if we lose it, because if it's seen as something inaccessible, then we have even more limitations than Europe or, or the United States. Is this something that, given the situation of Venezuela today, do you still see this interest in music in families? interest in music in kids that is purely artistic or purely expressive rather than this kind of disconnect that we see when there is the perception that music is a luxury? Well, in my country, music, it's not a luxury because, as you know, we have music for every part of the society. So I think music, in my case, uh, the case of my country, it's part of the education. You know, we don't have a proper education at this moment. So people is having music just to have some kind of a structure, mental structure. It's a substitute of education, of a proper education. And this is really sad, but it's, it's the truth. It's 2020 reality. Music is the substitute of the education in my country at this moment. But in the other hand, as, as you say, music dignifies. Music uh, gives opportunity to be better and to maybe enter another parts of society. That's true. But on the other hand, we have to think that this music education gives ability, but there's a risk of giving people hope that everyone is going to get to these professional orchestras. So it's a little bit hard to, to manage. In any case, I think that we as musicians and as orchestra conductors 
have to think how can we, with our music, help other parts of the economic system. For example, at this moment, you can join health communities and maybe help them transmit their message through the music. We are doing that with really great success. You can help an industry. You can go to, I don't know, you can go to the industry and play for them and then have a, a conversation with them. They will feel more human. We have so many things to do. We just have to rediscover ourselves, you know? We have to rediscover our structures and that's the way we will we'll survive, I think. I have a, a funny question. Do you play folk music on the clarinet? Yes, of course. Choropos. Yes, of course. Is that something that you grew up doing naturally? So before a conservatory, did you already know how to play popular music? Well, I don't know if I start reading or reading music first. You know, I was three years old and I was in music classes. So I selected clarinet because of Benny Goodman, because of Paquito de Rivera. Paquito de Rivera came to my country a lot of times. And I thought, oh, well, with the clarinet, I can play like popular and academic music. Because for me, there's no difference. For me, music is music. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's bad. So I love to, to be in this border, this classical contemporary pop music border. That's my life. And maracas? Maracas, you play maracas? No, that's really hard, you know? Very hard. It's really, really hard. <laughs> Have you seen maraca players from my country? They're really virtuosos. I, I've seen some people who are great cellists from your country, great conductors from your country, great violinists from your country stand up and play maracas better than anyone else I've seen playing maracas. That's why I'm telling you, because <laughs> I've seen that some people uh, learn to play maracas as just like a, a way to, you know, a way to be part of a party. But in your case, you seem to have had the clarinet as already good enough. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And also the piano. I was playing the piano also and the, and the cuatro, you know, the cuatro. Okay, there you, there you go. I think, I think we have a new challenge for you. I, I think uh, we've given you your, your next big step for the next few years, in addition to everything else that you already do. But Elisa, I want to thank you for spending time with us. And it's, it's been really wonderful to get to know you. And it's very inspiring to hear you talk about these things with such passion and eloquence. So I wish you all the best in any of your upcoming projects. And I, I think I speak for Carlos Miguel and myself when we say that we're all going to be paying attention and following your career. No, thank you very much. I would like to add to this that your future projects are very important. And I wanted to pick your brain and to ask you if, you know, suddenly you find a a sponsor generous enough to make your dreams reality. And I'm not talking so much about your career dreams, but your dreams as to what do you dream of for your orchestra or your musicians um, in Venezuela. What would those projects or what are those projects for the future years for Elisa Vegas? It has to be to, to create a really good net not just for music, but for every cultural project. I would love to have a society that is worth to live. I'm always thinking about we are at home, we really feel very safe at home, we are working, but we are working, not only musicians, but the people, 
You are working for what? To have a better place, to have some culture, to have really good sense of a city, you know, of an identity. So my dream will be to get arts in a really important place in our world, you know, and to understand that if we are working a lot, people is work, are working a lot, is to have a more richer life. So that will be my goal. I, I think that you will have the opportunity to communicate this to people through the World Economic Forum, which will be a great platform because as much as has been discussed around the world as far as the power of arts and especially of music to make social change, there are still a lot of people that need to be convinced. I would like to tell people, just have this time to connect to yourself. Have this time to rethink what would you like for your future in music or in life, whatever you are in. This is a, a precious time to prepare for what's next and keep in mind that we have a soul and if our soul is full, it has gas, everything is going to be okay. Your message touches me deeply and it gives me hope. And every time I talk to you, I see somebody who is balanced, mature, yet very young and full of energy. And I thank you for sharing such really groundbreaking ideas and for talking about difficult issues or issues that probably are not talked about directly. You address them directly, but you also address them with great pride, conviction and humility. And those things are rare in the career of a conductor. So Elisa, congratulations. Thank you for giving us this time. And I'd like to say this is always an honor. I am Carlos Miguel Prieto. And I am Raul Gomez. This has been Soundpost, and we will talk to you all soon. Soundpost is a production of the Orchestra of the Americas group with additional support provided by MYS Portland. Visit theoagroup.org forward slash soundpost to learn more.